Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, and we are still living in a pandemic world where in our little space... There are so many questions about the future of the movie business with movie theaters closed, festivals canceled and postponed. But we don't have to have the same conversation about that every week because this is an ever evolving situation. One we don't know how long is going to last, but different decisions have been made both on the business side and creative side that continue to give us a better sense of how people are reacting to this situation. So let's start with the release dates for films and what they are telling us about how people are looking at this situation. Because most recently, what we learned in terms of bigger movie release dates, uh, Top Gun has been pushed to Christmas. A Quiet Place 2, which was going to open right when all the movie theaters closed down, is now a Labor Day opening. And there is this real open question now, is the summer movie season effectively over? I mean, what what even is happening this summer? Well, there's a uh, if you look at all the 2020 movies that are still dated, there are quite a few that are still on the schedule. That doesn't mean they're going to stay there by any means. In fact, I would highly uh, doubt that, for example, Artemis Fowl is going to open on May 29th or Candyman on June 12th. Pixar Soul, that's a really big 200K-ish animated title big yeah. possible oscar contender kind of thing for for june 19th i don't think that'll happen well and, and soul was a movie that we had heard was probably going to launch at can correct so now it's can still thinks it's going in late june which a lot of people it's seem not to be gonna happen so if that doesn't happen and it doesn't have that kind of platform then it does become this open question when do you launch a movie like that that's right. And so there's two different uh, tracks, as we always discuss, I mean, or three, if you like. On the one hand, you've got the indie track, which is all the stuff like Baccarat and Once Were Brothers and, and Get Francis that are playing out in all these theaters through Alamo or Film Forum or, or um, Kino Lorber or Magnolia. They're all, there's all these different uh, virtual cinemas that are carrying all of these things and sharing their, their local uh, revenues with the theaters and everything, which is wonderful. It's um, great. And I'm really, I hope they all do really, that's all, that's a whole, the whole indie side of it is a whole other equation because they're doing the whole uh, VOD thing and the studios are doing the VOD thing too, which Tom Brueggemann is tracking. And I have to say, I find it, fascinating to watch what his he's learning it as he goes he's tracking all these different charts some of them are units some of them are big 1999 movies some of them are 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 599 vod it's fascinating how uh, he he figured out that the two biggest box office movies of the year sonic um and what's the other one uh, that they're both doing really, really, I'm just going to go find it. Well, Invisible it's, Man it, is doing well. well. No, the, no, no. But the, the two biggest ones are Sonic and Bad Boys. These ah, are yes. the, these are the two because they did well in theaters as well. Of course. And right. so it's, it's, it, this just came out it's three minutes ago or something. This is fascinating to me. Just learning this language of, of this whole alternative universe that we're now paying yeah. more attention to but well, if we go back to the charts the for example uh, the biggest one the one that everyone is soul is a huge one that has to move i suspect but the big one is tenet 
the the Chris Nolan on right. seven seventeen. Well, so that looks like that's going to be a yeah. That's a, a December, test. Yeah, that's I mean, I think there's. It seems unlikely. I mean, obviously, that's an event movie with so much crossover appeal, and it did seem like another one that could have had a, a can launch, but it. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the risk. They're just well, they, they just don't have I'm, to do it yet. Here's what I'm le- learning. I mean. First of all, when they make these decisions about when they are going to open, that tells you a lot. It tells you that because these people are not stupid, they have enormous businesses to run and they have a lot of money at stake and they're just trying to maximize the potential return uh, and minimize their losses. That's all. That, that's the calculation. And so they're looking in a very careful way at what the projections are for how long the virus is going to last and when audiences would be expected to return to theaters and be, and feel safe. You know, it's sort of like a marathon man or something, you know, yeah. is it safe? And, and, you know, even with distancing or whatever it is. And so there's a, there's what there's, so there's 34 dated for this year. And I, and I could see um, my bet, is that we're not going to have a can. We're going to have two fall, you know, the usual fall fests, Venice and, and Toronto and, and, uh, and Telluride and so forth. And, and, and New York, I mean, the usual uh, London, the usual fall festivals will likely happen. There are 34 still dated. Some of those are going to move. Six have already moved from 2020 over to 2021, including uh, Morbius and, and Fast, Fast and Furious Nine, yeah. and Minions and those movies, six of those. So there's it's like 29 now scheduled yeah. for 2021, yeah. and that's going to get bigger. And the weekends are stacked up like The Matrix versus John Wick and Space Jam versus Spider-Man. And, and on the a, this is a year from now on the 22nd of December. There's like three movies. All right. Well, hey, it, it's a good thing on some level culturally, if a ton of anticipated movies are all coming out, it might be hard from a business standpoint to find space to market all that stuff. But some of these movies, they, they have a lot writing on them because hopefully they deliver on some level. They're not, it's not a bunch of junk. So, hey, if we can get out of that, you know, first half of the year not being so good for bigger movies and actually better better event movies dropping during that time, maybe that would be constructive too. So what we're going to see, I think, is these May and June and maybe even July movies are going to move back. Sony took a very strong position and put they're putting their movies into, into uh, next year. I mean, they're not even messing around. Uh, well, I think it is, it is, it is, it does the seem like the movies. general, yeah. there, there are two kinds of assessments here. One is if you look at what happened with China, yes, the movie theaters opened and then closed again, but also within two to three months, they started to see serious results from what was going on. So if you take that and you add a little bit more because they're still not totally out of it, then the fall does start to seem like a safer corridor, but it still feels pretty close. Those of us who are in, this kind of calendar throughout the year know that by the time you get to the summer, you're already talking about the fall. That's not that far away from now. So if you can get away with going next year, you really should be going next year just to be safe. Well, they're, what they're doing is they're locking down dates. That's what the, this, there's, 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 there's 11 big movies that haven't even got a date right now. Some of the, from Mulan and Black Widow and In the Heights 
And then, and then let's look at the Oscar movies. Which of these are Oscar? Pixar Soul. It could be Obviously. an animated feature. Yeah. Then no you doubt. have maybe Tenet. I don't know. You know, it probably could be. <laughs> French Dispatch. That's in definitely. That's that was supposed to be a can title. That's that's in July, and then you've got uh, some maybe Death on the Nile, something to do with costumes or whatever. You've got you've got the Marvel movies like Eternals. Um, and you've Black got Widow, this is yeah. still we don't know when that's coming out. These are the ones that are actually scheduled to come out, and then you have at the end of the year Dune, West Side Story. And I don't know, Top Gun, and you got, maybe. Well, you don't forget about the David Lynch Netflix movie, May. Those are uh, the Netflix movies. So what's going to I mean, happen to those Netflix movies, Eric? Let's let's talk about this. It's, it's an interesting they question. They might because have it, no theatrical, and they right. would – would they qualify? Is the Academy going to let them If they qualify? change that rule, that's what will happen, is that it will be a boon to Netflix, which doesn't have to bother trying to play the theatrical game as they have in the past – at no, the moment, it, you know. what's interesting is that they're saying they're likely going to do what the Globes are doing, which is I'm not saying they will, but they're 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 asking people to file. I do know this. They're asking people to file what their theatrical commitments were, but they were actually booked in theaters. So there I, are I a lot of movies uh, now that, that, you know, I don't think Netflix has a lot of movies that are booked in theaters. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's I mean? weird though. That, but that it's, and a they lot of people don't really the Paris know. And then say the Paris is closed. I right. don't know. That's an you easy know? workaround. I think it's a challenge though, because once you say, I, I do think the Academy needs to create some sort of temporary rule change to accommodate this situation because they otherwise have a meeting a, on but, April the 14th, but the, but the, but it is worth talking through. And I think those fast, those will be fascinating conversations to hear about later. Right. Because on some level, one of the issues is if you were just to say, okay, we're waiving that qualification. Well, then you're opening the floodgates for like everything. Like when does a TV show start qualifying because it didn't have a theatrical release? Like that tiger thing everyone's talking about right now is seven episodes on Netflix. Could we make that? That's in the uh, Emmys universe. Of course yeah, it theoretically, is. But we're in uncharted terrain. No, the Academy theatrical. has rules about, about, about a number of hours and anything that's a series is even if it's a doc, it's Fair, not yeah, eligible. Right. It's a, if it's a that series, comes fine, after, right. remember, remember your, your, uh, OJ series. You right. Know. OJ did create a pre- You're right. In that situation, there is a precedent, but it does. It, there are so much stuff that does get dumped on VOD that probably shouldn't be talked well, about in the slides. And, and I'm sure Netflix is figuring this out. By the way, typically, I could be wrong. I don't know what the studios are up to right now, but Netflix is the first one I'm aware of that's got a digital junket on in the works for one of their films, which I mean, and Netflix is very well, and as are, I, I would assume other, some other streamers, but Netflix especially is very well equipped to totally. uh, modify it in this situation. I mean, it's not to say that it's a good thing per se, but it, it does provide a potential. They're not going to miss any tricks, you know, and, yeah. and I'm sure they're going to apply it to all the Emmy award stuff that they've got coming up and, and, you know, spend the money and do the work to promote what they have, but even Netflix and even Apple and all these other companies that, and Disney plus, you know, they're, they don't have as much product coming through as, 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 you know, you can see HBO pushing series back to next year. Um, 
throwing the undoing out with the with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. That was supposed to be one of the Emmy titles. Even in the Emmy TV side, there there's a lot of movement because they're going to be short of product later. Well, yeah, every, because that's, of the that's production the shutdowns. When we get out of this thing, it will be fascinating to look at what the long-term effects are in terms of this everything shutting down. Because you have development going on and you've got post-production going on, but you don't have shooting. Well, that's the thing. It's not only the the impact on the production studios, it's also the impact on, say, festivals, which will, you know, they're going to be showing movies maybe that would have shown at festivals this year, but we don't really know. I mean, are they going to have enough stuff or is there going to be some weird window of time where suddenly there's like a slowdown of, of things? The, the one, really the one scary thing to me, the one that makes me the most concerned about anybody making any plans is that, is that the virus is, is the way that the United States is set up, especially, but it's global. We have different pockets here in the center of the, of the, of the epicenter in, in the United States, in New York. But for now, yeah. And we're going to be there in two weeks, you know, in L.A. Um, the The whole idea is that it's not just going to end and, and, and then you can just open up all the doors. Right. It's going to be in different waves, in different places, and it's yes. going to come back. That's the part that's scary is that you can yeah. open up the theaters and then have to shut them down again like China. Right. There's, so there's, there's multiple steps here. And one is you look at actually this kind of completes the thought I was trying to, to get at earlier is that you look at what ha- what's happened with China. It takes a couple of months to see some real discernible results, but then it takes even longer to keep fighting back those second waves. And then the other thing is that we hear this, whatever it is, 12 to 18 months to develop a vaccine, which right. tells you that there are, there's another phase which may continue into next year with this whole thing. And so it's, nobody can assume that they have the solution per se. I I do think think we're going to have antibodies being measured and then we can send people who are um, immune back out into the workforce. That is an interesting aspect of this because we all know people who've had it now and survived it as well. Sure. Sure. I mean, and and I think those people can speak to the fact that this isn't everything we're talking about is not a reason to panic or feel like the world is ending, but it is something that is shifting a lot of paradigms and forcing the business to think in ways that a lot of people assume that were were hypotheticals they didn't have to consider in the immediate sense. I mean, one of the, the other things we wanted to talk about today is the international impact of this on the business. I mean, we've so far been talking about how studios are shifting release dates and so forth. But one of the things I noticed today that that was just as significant, I think, to an area that we talk about a lot is in France, theatrical windows are, uh, are being squeezed, at least for the moment, for certain films that were already in theaters when they shut down on March 14th. So the CDC granted special temporary powers to shorten the windows on films like Invisible Man and a few others. But that's a big deal. France was like the biggest holdout for its three-year theatrical window. Yeah, they're letting people go to premium VOD and transactional and and DVDs, and they're letting the window go and and completely, and they're doing this in a way where they're waiving, um, you know, they they all uh, have 
production subsidies. So these movies are supposed to go into theaters on a certain time frame, but they're they're waiving the, the the subsidies. They're letting them keep them, and they're going straight to these other windows, which is wonderful. But you you're right. It's they were already ready in France to fool around with this. We we t- we met with with. Uh, Unifrance. Unifrance, which was which was very revealing because because it, it showed that they're willing to to think about at least uh, yeah. maybe bringing Netflix into the equation or and having them share uh, with 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 the others, which leads me to wonder. I mean, this is crazy, and anyone who's listening to this, please please feel free to reach out to me and Eric and and let us know what you think of it because. I just think that they're in this terrible time for the for the indies and uh, the art houses. I think a lot of people are really worried about how a lot of the smaller mom and pops are, are going to survive. And we need this, you know, the studios and the chains are there. And we'll see what happens with them. That's a whole other equation that is also fraught uh, with financial risk for the theaters. But I'm I'm on another front. I just wonder if there isn't some new way to uh, carve up um, the, the the revenues and 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 create a kind of circle that is not unlike France, uh, where it's all handled in a very different way. Uh, well, to yeah, feed I mean, the different parts of the chain. It's true, if France. As an as a culture and as a society has shaped its laws to support the art of cinema, so it's very difficult to think about that context in our country, given that it's France is just such a different universe when it comes to stuff like this. But it is an, a, a worthy case study in terms of trying to sift through these challenges, even if they can't come, even if it's not about changing laws, it could be about different kinds of mobilization efforts. And I also think this is something I've been saying a lot. Some people have been reticent to either promote their work or get into conversations about movies in general, because they feel like there's so much going on in the world that dwarfs these concerns. And I would say this, what's happening in the world right now impacts everybody's specific concerns. And there's nothing wrong with being completely invested in the future of movies as they're being impacted by this. I think that individually, what people should be looking at is what are the efforts that are being done to make sure that movie theaters are getting some measure of support where they need it. So these, you know, things like Kino Marquee and these other VOD efforts where the revenue goes to the theater, you know, buy, don't just like look at that and say, hey, that's a nice idea. Buy a ticket and watch one of those movies. Or you get that email from Rooftop Films or whomever saying, you know, we need your support. Like now more than ever, that's not just something you kind of shrug off. That's the, the, and you can buy of, gift certificates yeah. to the American Cinema Tech here in LA, and there are all sorts of ways to to feed to feed these folks who who are going to be you know I mean t- t- listening to the Lincoln Center uh, shutting down film comment on hiatus for a while you know this is these are real people who who are um, you know trying to batten down the hatches and and survive uh, this thing for, yeah. for however long it lasts I mean it's terrible to read about the Metropolitan Opera or, or or Carnegie Hall. I mean, the arts, though. Let's just give us a let's give a shout out for the arts. We need the arts. Yeah. <laughs> they are vital. Think- what is everybody doing every night at home? They're watching Netflix. They're watching HBO. They're watching television. 
and yeah. they're, and and they're you not, your- <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if our publisher is having, you know, James Israel is having a, an Elaine May festival with some friends, you know, I mean, he's like programmed it and he's got all the little, uh, talking points for, for them to discuss after they watch it each. I mean, there's a million versions of this. The AFI has their version. You know, Eric, you've seen Oh, yeah. I, I signed up to take a, an online uh, Hollywood classic film class. I mean, there was somebody put together a little syllabus with links, and there's like a Slack channel where you can comment on the movies every night. I mean, this past week I watched Johnny Guitar, and I watched Sorry, Wrong Number. I watched uh, Sus- uh, Suspicion. Uh, well, it, those are all good ones. It's a great, excellent it a great, movie. And it's not, I had, had seen them all before. I had, I had seen before? them all. I'd seen them, but not in this framework. And and a lot of times, actually, I I, I don't. It's not like I have a ton of free time, but being being given a, a some kind of structure to watch films and talk about them reminded me of how valuable that process is. And if you are somebody who does that, it only as a hobby, which is most people, uh, you can't just replicate that online. I, I like these efforts in the sense that I think people are figuring out how to do it now, but it is also a reminder of how art houses as sort of gathering points can have this tremendous communal impact that, especially for, for older movies, gives them ongoing currency. And you can't really replicate that in your living room in this in quite the same way. So it is a, it is a reminder of, of why it is valuable to have movie theaters to see these kinds of efforts to, to watch movies absolutely, collectively. Absolutely. I'm in the, I'm watching a lot of television for, for Emmy awards coverage, which is my job. And um, so uh, I've, I've been fascinated by what the nighttime TV shows have been doing, you know, from home with children, Children manning the, the the cameras and and uh, you know uh, Samantha B going outside you know and trying to to handle that uh, you know with the weather and and uh, and then uh, the most successful that I see that I've seen was John Oliver. John Oliver was really amazing. He had um, his highest rated show. He well, the reason if we just want to get analytical about it is that he is already structuring his show in such a way that he's the, he's staring at you directly, which is the same thing you do if you're online, and and he has graphics going so his people can get that and have that happening. It isn't; it's a low tech version of what he already does, and right. so and he's got all his writers and he's and he's very sincere and very angry uh, and has plenty to to be angry about. Um, whereas it, it's much more difficult. I thought I, I was feeling for Stephen Colbert, who I love, because he was like staring off to the left while he was interviewing Oliver on the right. And, he, you know, it just it it was a mess. I'm, I'm afraid it's yeah, weird I mean, for him to do a monologue with no laughter. It just was weird. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. It's almost like you need to you, you might even benefit from the fake laughter of old sitcoms. You know, canned laughter had a purpose back then. If you take it out from a sitcom, they become thrillers. I think he's going to have to interact with his children or something or, (laughs) or get them to laugh or play to them or there's gotta be, they must've told the kids to be really quiet or not to be involved. You know what they need to do? And this is what I'm not only in terms of what I've been experimenting with, but what I see across the internet, they need to bring back live shows 
I mean, Colbert did several live shows and, and I've been to some of them. I've been to tapings of them. Yeah, these they're, were, they were editing that I would, I totally agree with you, Eric. They were editing that you could see the little jump cuts where they took something out that didn't work. And I was thinking, no, they've got him. You're absolutely right. He should do it live. Because and he should definitely up, right? look at his guests so that right. they're both coming at you straight somehow. Right. You should follow the Oliver uh, model. I mean, I think right now people are more open to the possibility of something being flawed and rough around the edges, but they, it also needs to feel a little special and different. Right. You know, all, these, all these celebrities are sharing it, the views of their homes and they're wearing their bathrobes and stuff. I mean, it's like... Well, he the, put his another, suit on. You could see that he was yeah. trying to recreate something that he was co- comfortable with. But the thing that, that I actually think was good, uh, Corden had uh, music. That was great. The, the, yeah, music, yeah. He had great. He had some great music on that show. That always is the best thing about it. Yeah, and musicians. I mean, there's been some great music on the internet. It's not the same thing as going to a show per se, but it's it's a it's a reason to tune in. Today that was I mean, really fun. There was a live Boston Red Sox um, organ guy, like the baseball stadium. This would have been opening day or something in Boston, and he was doing. He was taking requests, and he was doing it on the organ. It was wonderful. <laughs> That's amazing. On Facebook. I mean, honestly, that was on Facebook it's like, Live. It's forcing, it, it is forcing people to think about how to use their talents and make them more accessible to people. And one of the, and one of the takeaways here is that even if this situation stabilizes in whatever it is by the fall or next year or whatever, some some of these folks probably are now more you know streetwise when it comes to how you use your social media to interact with people and they'll probably keep it going. Everybody's learning. And this segues to the next thing, which is that the the announcement yesterday that Jason Kolar, have I, uh, Kilar, I'm I'm pronouncing it wrong. He was um, the founder of Hulu. And when he was, he's been named the CEO of Warner media, which means that he's in charge of the launch on May 1st of or sometime in May, he starts on May 1st, uh, the launch of, of HBO Max, which is a huge deal for, for, for Warner Media. And so he's got Warner Brothers and CNN and HBO and all these other brands and everything supplying content to uh, the new HBO Max. And, it, it, and, and, and I took this as a signal that, and I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, it's like no, nothing can be done the way it was before this is not the time for any of these companies in this urgent framework to um, rely on what worked in the past. And they all have to go forward. He was this guy who, who was a real maverick and an innovator. And he ran into terrible uh, conflicts with the studios that owned him because Hulu, because they wanted to uh, keep the windows and do it their old way and have all the ancillary markets. All This, this is all going to go out the window now. And the parent, parent consent decrees have lifted. So it's actually possible for either the studios or the tech companies or anybody to buy these theaters that are so tragically um, uh, set back by the recession and maybe work together to be more innovative and come up with new ways to do things, which we've all been calling for for a while. Yeah, I, I think that if, if anything, there there is 
some some silver lining that has to be continually discussed in terms of like what we're getting from these experiments that are being forced out of necessity and seeing that you know the industry itself is now evolving in terms of the people it's putting in charge to be to react to that in this moment really tells you something about that. But when you know, it's I- this urgent, you know, that I noticed something in our own staff meeting, Eric, and I just wanted to to sort of cheer us ourselves on a little bit. We had our Zoom meeting in our staff meeting that we have. There was this sense of everybody pulling together to, to, to do our best right now. Like there's no room for bullshit, you know? There's no room. I, I could keep interrupting you, but... But I'm, I love you, Eric. I do. And, and no, it's, I think it's the a really tough is... time, you know. And so every, I, I feel like everyone is pulling that way, at least um, uh, a lot of the people in our industry in a way that Let's... maybe they wouldn't bef- before. And they're, they're throwing ego aside and they're throwing their, some of them are throwing their paychecks aside in, in an effort to, to save, save the day, you know, well, and make, make the right calls. I mean, let's think about it this way. If you're in the business of covering news and if it's entertainment news or if it's whatever, whatever your beat is, this is a time to be busier than ever. And that's what I've been telling people when they call me and everybody sounds really sympathetic. How are you doing there in New York, et cetera, et cetera. I said, I'm busier than ever. Um, I think it's an incredibly fascinating moment. It's not a, it's not a objectively good time, but it, but it is a very constructive time to be thinking about everything that we do and, and the value of, of what we do. And so I, you know, I have to take that on some level as a very strange blessing in disguise. I do think we should talk about one movie that's coming to VOD this weekend. That is also, I think a blessing in disguise in the sense that more people should see this movie. So if VOD can do that, maybe that's a net positive. And that's never rarely, sometimes always you broke the story that focus moved this movie up. It's, it's theatrical release was interrupted and I think there are two sides of, of this. You know, there were movies like, say, First Cow that had its theatrical release interrupted and A24 is tabling that and it's going to, to put it back in theaters at some point, they've said. Never rarely they didn't do that. This is a, basically decided to put it out there and it's, a, it's a, not an obvious VOD movie because it's a very uh, difficult drama. But at the same time, I think that somebody who watches this movie, who makes the time to watch this movie, will find it to be a very involving thriller of sorts in addition to being an abortion drama which is what it is on paper and uh, i like and this- that you call it a thriller i think that's really good because what happens is that that these two very vulnerable young teenage girls are on their own in new york city now i grew up in new york so i was a tough kid you know i knew my way around i was streetwise but but i felt for them and i was also reminded of how vulnerable i actually was you know as a young woman in new york city uh it's a very very well made movie and the woman eliza hitman who wrote and directed it and cast it very remarkably well um she knows what she's doing in terms of bringing us right close to these characters and putting us through their experience. Yeah. And if you watch this movie and you're like, wow, I'm really into what this person's doing, you go back and watch Beach Rats and it felt like love. They're both, all three are these really terrific kind of jittery New York stories of of young outsiders trying to take control of these forces that are much bigger than what they expected to have to deal with. And, and I think this is like sort of the pinnacle of it, but all three show you a very 
you know, clear path. I mean, as much as say the Safdie brothers, this is one of the, you know, great New York filmmakers working right now. And so to me, it's like, okay, maybe on some level, the theatrical experience could be shot on film. because It's a very involving kind of thing that works really well on the big screen. It does benefit from that. But at the same time, I could see this movie really having a, a, a big life now. We won't necessarily know how big a life, depending on you know what kind of figures are out there. I'm sure it'll be interesting to try I'm to curious to see, because you don't have, I mean, at least Emma, forgive the expression, Jane Austen and and uh, and so forth, had had a little bit of recognition. This this has this is a real original original, and and we shall see. Yeah, it needs to be like pure word of mouth and how pure word of mouth works for a VOD. That's movie. the issue. <laughs> it's a real but, but you question. do have a captive audience right now. And, right. and there's been some talk of this and it got some great uh, buzz out of Sundance and, and out of Berlin where we both were. And, and hopefully um, people will register that it's worth giving it a shot. I, I have to say, though, that um, I was looking um, – what was I looking at? Swallow, for example. Yeah, it is, that movie it is, really benefited a, from this. that. Yeah, and and it's it. I recognized how gorgeous it was and how extraordinary the cinematography and the set design and the acting and everything. But it was also weird. That's a, a movie I would much rather have seen in a theater. Honestly, it was weird well, that- to watch that one all by myself in my living room. Well, it's, that that is sort of the underlying sort of subtext of all of this, after all. But next week, we'll have a chance to talk about another VOD release that we wouldn't have expected a few weeks ago to be that, and that's Trolls World Tour. So I hope you'll tune in and uh, figure out whether or not this giant family film works on the small screen. So it should be interesting. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of other developments worth looking at. There's so many open questions and many of which we touched on this week, but it just seems like every day it brings new information. So I hope you're staying healthy and sane and but you too. Uh, enjoy the weekend and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Eric. Bye.